Uh, we do welcome anyone who's visiting. It's nice to have Jenny Boyd back, and uh, nice to have you in as well. Thank you again for your help with the camp. Um, we have a uh, minister from Cumley Bank Church of Scotland. Where are you? I've lost you. Somewhere. Ah, and I've forgotten your name, so please introduce yourself. That's really bad. And Shona, nice to have you with us and your family as well. You're very welcome. And anyone else who's visiting, we're really glad uh, to, to have you here. Let's um, turn to Mark chapter 4, verse 35. And if someone's got a pew Bible, if you could shout out the page number, that would be helpful. Because I don't have one. I've, Mark 4, verse 35. 1005. Thank you. Oh, I should welcome Jonathan, of course. Our old friend Jonathan, who is here. The you, former youth worker in Smithton. Currently studying in the U.S. and looking to return to Scotland. But, uh, glad to have you with us too. Mark 4, verse 35, page 1005. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There, there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Now, this is a, a story about Jesus. It's one of the nature miracles. It's told also in Matthew's gospel and in Luke's gospel. And previously in this gospel, Jesus has dealt with disease and he's dealt with demons. And now he shows himself to be Lord over nature. And you will see how this connects where we're at. But there's a lot of fascinating details in the story. And I'm just going to mention some of them just now. The story came from Peter. Peter was an eyewitness. Um, he told it to Mark, and he told it, obviously, in some detail. Jesus decides to cross over to the other side of the lake. Probably, it is the Sea of Galilee, about 13 miles in length and seven and a half miles wide. His disciples take him. The, look at verse 36. They took him along just as he was in the boat. So, they probably just rowed over, and there's a small flotilla of other boats that go with him as well. The Lake of Galilee was, ex was famous for its storms, and which would often come up very quickly, and that's what happened in verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat. Now, these guys were not like me. Um, if you have a slight ripple in the water, I'm going to be afraid or be seasick or whatever. Uh, these guys were fishermen. They were fishermen on the Sea of Galilee. They knew what it was like. It must have been some storm because they were really scared. Jesus, on the other hand, is asleep on a cushion, and they are not happy. He's exhausted from the day's work, and he fell asleep as they started to sail. So they wake him, and they ask him the first of three questions that we are going to look at. Verse 38, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, this is an extraordinary question to ask. It's one that people will often ask. 
If I sometimes say to people, or a lot of people will say, yeah, I kind of believe in God, but, or I'd like to believe in God, but, or I don't believe in God because, and the but is, they say, well, doesn't God care? It's the whole question of suffering and so on. I used to believe in God, but my mother got cancer. Or I used to believe in God, but this really bad thing happened to me in the church. Or I, you know, and the implication being, well, if there's a God, He doesn't really care very much. But here's the disciples who believe in Jesus up to a certain point anyway, and they are asking if Jesus really cares. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? It is a word of rebuke to Jesus. It was, after all, Him who went across the sea. We don't know, but maybe they might have said, it's not a good time to go. Heading across the sea, they're about to drown as far as they're concerned. It was Jesus' stupid idea in the first place to cross over, and He's asleep on a cushion. Don't you care that we drown? Now, we find ourselves in situations where, not literally in a storm, but where there are storms in our lives, and they're not actually our fault. There are things that are happening to us that are caused, not just, not necessarily caused by our disobedience or our sin. They're just caused by nature. They're caused by other people. There's lots and lots of different things occurring. And we think if we are, those of us who say that we are Christians, we are sometimes tempted to ask, well, where's God in all this? Doesn't God care? I think that what the disciples here are doing is they're really saying to Jesus, do we mean so little to you? Now, it was a stupid and a crass comment, although one that is entirely understandable. I'll tell you why it was stupid and crass in a moment, but it, it, it was entirely self-focused. It's something that we recognize. Who do you complain to the most? You don't normally complain to complete strangers. You know, you could, maybe that happens sometimes, but you don't normally complain to complete strangers. I mean, if you're going out, if you're in the Tartan Cafe or something and the meal hasn't gone too well, you don't go to a table and say, oh, this food in here is rubbish. You, you'd say it to someone that you knew, someone who is beside you. I'm sorry, uh, Tartan Cafe food is, is great, by the way. I shouldn't mean that's, That wasn't having to go at the Tartan Cafe. But you don't normally go up and complain to people that you don't know. We tend to find ourselves whining or moaning or with legitimate complaints, saying it to the people who are closest to us. And sometimes we may say it to people who are closest to us, and we are complaining about them as well because they are doing nothing. Don't you care that I am suffering? Don't you care what I am going through? And that's what they did with Jesus Christ. Just don't you care. I think that the question was really, really cruel, and I'll tell you why. Um, this evening, by the way, we're going to look at this in a whole lot more detail, and if you can, I'd love you to come along this evening, because it's just so important for the church. Uh, those who profess to be Christians, I, I would encourage you to come and hear about what Christ actually did for us, and, and the answer to this question, don't you care? But I tell you why it was really cruel and really crass. Because Christ was exhausted. He was in the boat. He was shattered. He was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. He was tired from all that He had been doing. Jesus 
Although he's the son of God, had a human body, he went through all the human emotions that we go through, had the same physiology, the same psychology as, as we do. And he just, the reason he was sleeping was not because he was God. The reason he was sleeping is because he was completely shattered. And the disciples wake him up. He's shattered because of what he's been doing for them. And the disciples wake him up and say, don't you care? There's just a really cruel irony in that. Furthermore, Jesus knew where he was going. He knew what was going to happen to him. He knew that he was going to die. And to be woken up by people who you're going to die for saying, don't you care, must have been really, really infuriating. Furthermore, what makes it even worse than that is he had said in verse 35, let's go over to the other side. He told them that they were going over to the other side. They were meant to trust him. And yet, they were forgetting his word. They were doubting him. So here's the irony. Jesus is the one who cares for them most, and he's the one who carries the can for their fears. That happens to us so much. The caring of Jesus is not dependent on him stopping the storm. Paul, for example, was in a great storm. He was a man of great faith, and yet the storm continued. Sometimes God does save us from trouble, but sometimes He saves us in trouble. But the fact that the trouble doesn't stop doesn't mean that God doesn't care. To go to God and to go to Jesus and say, if you really cared, then you wouldn't let this happening is one of the most kind of immature, childish, manipulating things that can occur. Peter is the one who told Mark the story. Peter was in the boat. Peter is the one who wrote a story that was against himself. And later in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, he would say this, as a much more mature believer, dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Why is it strange? Why do you think it's strange that in a world of suffering, you would suffer? We should not judge Christ's care for us by the roughness of the seas that we sail on. And I don't mean to be offensive, and you know, it's funny this week, I have so much comment about being offensive, but it genuinely is crass and stupid to say, oh God, I'm not going to believe in you because something bad happened. That just doesn't make sense because God has already told us in His Word that bad things do happen to good people. Bad things do happen in this world. We live in this world that's twisted. We live in a world where there's just a lot of rotten stuff going on. The Bible says that. And when you turn around and say, well, I'm not going to believe the Bible because there's rotten stuff going on, it doesn't make sense. And I'll tell you what's happening there is we're setting up a kind of make-believe God who's a bit like a Santa Claus who's always going to come and just take away all our hurt and pain. And that's not the way that reality is, and that's not the way that it works, and that's not the real Jesus. This is a bit of a trivial example. But we were at Discovery Camp this week, and it was great. I really, really loved it. And I thought, and to those of you who are parents, I honestly think your kids are fantastic. And I know I say most years that they were good, but this year they were fantastic. And, um, you know, I'd adopt them all. If any of you want to give them up, I'm happy. You know, sign the forms at the back. No, they were, they were fantastic. But, um, they're, not, they're not a but. See, you get tired at these things. So I was getting to bed about 1 o'clock. So one night I got to bed at 1 o'clock, sound asleep. And I warned them about this. I said, you make sure you guys go to sleep. Because I see when I go to bed, that's the end. 
I must not be woken up because it's the bear with the sore head and all that kind of stuff. And we were talking about Elisha and the bears and various things. So I was giving them warning about being mauled in the middle of the night if they, uh, um, don't worry, child and safety wouldn't allow me to do it, but if they uh, woke us up. So three o'clock one morning, uh, banging on the door. Of course, I don't hear a thing. Knocking on the door, I don't hear a thing. Kicking down the door, I hear that. And come in, and in comes uh, one of the leaders with uh, a child who wasn't feeling very well, feeling very sick. To be honest, my first thought was, go away. <laughs> Honestly, that's, I, I'm, I'm not like Jesus. I was just, oh, you know. Uh, but then, of course, you don't do that. You, you get up with, and, and uh, you know, with my extensive medical knowledge, prescribed water and, <laughs> and prayer <laughs> as far as we could get. Just sat with them for 15 minutes to make sure they weren't actually going to vomit. And they went back to sleep, and that was fine, and you go back to bed. The point of what I'm saying is this. Imagine if that child had said, David, don't you care about me? You know, there you are sleeping in your bed, and I'm feeling sick. How dare you sleep? You know, it, 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 that doesn't make sense. It would be incredibly selfish for someone to behave like that. And yet that's so often what we do because we're so focused on ourselves we just, we, we can't see beyond. We can't see how God cares. God knows the mess that it, we are in, and, and He knows all, actually a lot better than we do. Second question, verse 40. This is a question that Jesus asked the disciples. Why are you so afraid? And do you still have no faith? Now, he gives here a gentle rebuke back to the disciples. They are thinking understandably of their immediate danger and of themselves. He simply asks them, why are you so afraid? You're so worked up. You're so stressed. Well, we're afraid because we're about to drown. That's understandable. But for a lot of us, we are worked up. We're stressed about many things. And sometimes we might go to God and we might even pray in desperation, oh God, help me. The saying that there are no atheists in foxholes, or if you're, you know, if you were on a plane and you were told, uh, sorry, we've just lost all our engines, we're going down, a lot of people would suddenly start praying. Why are you so afraid? And he's asking the disciples, what have I already done for you? So why don't, do you think that I don't care? What makes you think that I will not look after you and that I do not care for you? Why do they have so little faith? In fact, it's astonishing here. He says to his disciples, you still have no faith. You still have no faith. He had people who were with him, who he called his disciples, who said they followed him, and he said to them, you have no faith. Now, by the way, I think a, a lot of people would take offense at that. Oh, I'm a Christian. Oh, I go to church. Well, I don't go to church, but I believe in God. Jesus says, I'm sorry, but you have no faith. You have no faith. The experiences of life are sent to us with a purpose. And the purpose is very often to test our faith. The teaching you've received, says Jesus, you still have no faith. The fact of storms should not and does not negate our faith. We should be able to say with the psalmist in Psalm 119 verse 71, it was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. I think there's an enormous lesson here in terms of our, our storms that we face. Because there is a kind of false Christianity that's taught, and it goes like this. 
Life is miserable. Life is horrible. You become a Christian. Life becomes wonderful. But actually, that's not true. Because for some people before they're Christians, life's actually okay. And for some people when they become Christians, life might actually get worse. In fact, Jesus kind of suggests that that is going to be the case unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciples. Now, what real faith is, is when you find yourself going through a storm, whatever that storm is, and you still acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and that He can control the storms that we face. Do we have the nerve to turn around and say to God when a particular prayer isn't answered or when something's not going right, to say, Lord, don't you care? In actual fact, what we need to do is look away from that particular storm and look to Christ, see who He is, and in a sense, it calms us down. We need Jesus to do things, that's true. But He wants us to trust Him, whatever happens. That is also true. A Christianity which encourages the idea of continual success, continual prosperity, will only lead to frustration and despair. What did I do that was wrong? Why is this happening to me? But maybe you didn't do something that was wrong, and maybe it's not happening to you for a particular reason. Maybe you won't know the reason, but the question is, does God care, and does Christ care in that? There, Paul said he learned the secret of being content in any and every circumstances. Now, I think there are a lot of people who come to church and who profess to be Christians, and to be honest, we're just mucking around. We're playing at Christianity. And the first time anything serious happens, we freak out and we pronounce that we have lost our faith. Do you still have no faith? Fear and a lack of faith go together. And when we say faith here, by the way, it's not just kind of faith that things are going to get better or everything will just work out okay. It's a faith in Christ. And that leads us on to the third question, verse 41. Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey Him. Who is this? The disciples don't grasp it. So, you could read this story in a, in a way that I would… I've often read this story, and in a sense, I've kind of hinted at this as well. And the story goes like this. Jesus, the disciples were in the storm. They wake up Jesus. Jesus calms the storm. This is like your life. It's in a mess. It's in a storm trust in Jesus, and Jesus will calm the storm, and you won't be afraid anymore. But that's not what the story says, because look at verse 41. After they did it, they were terrified. They were terrified. Such an awesome thing that Christ did, that it did freak them out. It, 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 it was really, really scary. See, religion's okay for most people as long as you can put it in a box, as long as you can stick something on a mantelpiece, as long as you can reduce it to a, a collection of human beings doing something together. It's okay, it can be dangerous and so on, but it's fairly safe for most people. But what if God were really real? And what if these stories really did happen? And what if God really did know? And what if there really is a heaven and a hell? And what if we were created for something a whole lot better than we have just now. What if all that is true? If that is true, it's not something that most people go, oh, please let me have it. It's something that most people go, no, I don't want to know because it's too scary. It's out with the realms of our control. 
The storm was bad enough. The, the fishermen who were used to sailing on the sea, <laughs> that was bad enough not being able to control their boats. It was even more scary that there was someone who could control the wind and the waves. See, sometimes we need to ask ourselves about how we react to Jesus. Being awed and afraid would not be a bad thing. Sometimes it's good to be afraid. You know, the, the kids, for example, if a, whenever we, would, we talked about this a bit, about being afraid of things. Oh, I'm scared of the dark. I'm scared of roads. I'm scared of traffic. You know, actually, it's not a bad thing to be scared of roads at one level. So that you look and you say, if, if you have no fear about things, that's not courage. It's just stupidity. And sometimes it makes sense. There's, there's irrational fears and there's wrong fears. I know that. But sometimes it makes sense to be afraid. And I'll tell you this. It makes real sense when you begin to understand who God is and when strange things begin to happen and God begins to answer prayer and God speaks to you and, and you just go, whoa. And it sometimes... Being afraid in that is not a bad thing. These guys talk with themselves. Who is this? Who is he? Well, who is he? Let's answer it. He's a man. He's asleep. He needed rest. After a full day teaching, he was shattered. He had a body that could hunger, thirst, feel pain, and needed to rest. Of course he cares because he's been a human being like us. He understands. Hebrews 4 verse 15, we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Here is the extraordinary thing about Jesus Christ. And you will find this, I find this, maybe for some of you this is, oh, I, yeah, I get this. This is no problem. For me, it is an enormous thing. He spent much of his time with ordinary people. He ate, he socialized, he got involved with people's lives as someone who weeps and cares. He is not someone who sat at a computer screen and blogged about life. He's not someone who wrote things. He's not someone who studied. In fact, Jesus never wrote a book. He got involved with people, and he lived with people. People in all their ugliness and in their twistedness and in their beauty and in their joys and in their sorrows. We live in this strange world where sometimes, apart from immediate family or work colleagues, we're not that connected with people and with people around us. You could never, ever accuse Jesus of that. He was a human being. And that's one of the great things. We're going to say that he is God, and we're talking about coming to him, but one of the things that just reassures me enormously is Jesus knows because he experienced, not from theory, but because he experienced where I have been at, where we are at. Then Jesus gives a rebuke to the wind and the waves. He says, quiet. And it's a, a command like, be, be muzzled. It's a bit like, have you ever seen one of these people who are great with dogs? You know, uh, you're going along and a, and a dog comes leaping out at you and the dog is incredibly bold because it's behind a fence. You know, open the fence, it's probably going to be more scared than you, but barking away. And I love one of those, you know, you see it sometimes in the film, the dog whisperer, he goes, shh, and the dog goes, like that. I think it's great. You know, it's just be muzzled. It'd be fantastic if you were, uh, had that kind of ability. Well, that's the word. That's the idea that's used here. It's as though Jesus was treating the wind and the waves as though it was just an animal that could be calmed. And for him, it was. In the, New in the Old Testament, rather, God, it is only God who commands the wind and the waves. In the New Testament, also it is God who does it. We can command it. Jesus does it. 
Now, of course, some people have enormous difficulty with this. They can accept that Jesus was human. Uh, I was listening to a Woody Guthrie song, How Cultured Is That?, just before I came out on YouTube uh, about Jesus. Just Google Woody, Woody Guthrie and Jesus. And it's a great song, but it's about Jesus as a man. And Guthrie misses the point because he's talking about Jesus basically being a communist and being with the poor and so on, which is true as far as it goes, at least the being with the poor bit. And yet, he misses the power of it. And there are a lot of people who say, yeah, I like Jesus, he's good, but I don't believe this stuff about him being God. Why? Because this stuff just does not happen. Why? Why doesn't it happen? Who says it doesn't happen? Logically, there's not a problem. If the God who created the earth came down to earth in the form of Jesus Christ, why could he not command that earth? Logically, he could. It doesn't work to say, that doesn't happen. That's just blind faith in a way. Think of the power that we have over nature to some extent when we dam a river or we harness solar energy. Why couldn't God use nature in that same way? I think there's something more as well because Jesus is human. Jesus is the Son of God. He works through the normal processes of nature. He can make things supernaturally happen as well. But He's also the Lord over nature. Nature's not random and blind. There's a lovely phrase... um, cosmologists and physicists talk about the principle of binding everything together. The New Testament spoke about that 2,000 years before. Colossians 1.15, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and before him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I don't understand how everything works. I don't understand how the universe holds together. But I do know this, that you take Christ out of the equation and it's all chaos. That's what this story is teaching us. Jesus on the Sea of Galilee is the same Jesus today. He is merciful. He is beautiful. He is comforting. He is powerful. He is awesome. This is the God we follow, the one we worship and adore. See, I get so tired of being accused of being religious, and I so understand, just so understand, people say, I don't want anything to do with religion. And they go along to church, or they go to something and say, oh no, I don't want anything to do with all that. And you kind of, you can see where they're coming from, and you so agree with it in a lot of ways. And yet what happens is they carry on struggling in the storms without any real control. They think they might be in control, but they're not. They're not willing to go out of the frying pan into the fire. But they, it's, just, it's, a, it's just such a frustrating position for me to see people in because there is, if you like, a lifeboat. There is someone who has the ability and the power and the compassion and that's who Jesus is. And I hate the way that Jesus has been turned into an idol and has been turned into some kind of religious icon, as though he's not for real. And let me try and apply all this. Firstly, let's, let's deal with a bit about dealing with the storms in our own lives. Anxiety and worry is the opposite of peace. We worry about ourselves. We worry about the future. We worry about those whom we love. Going back to being on the, on the camp, driving the minibus, and 
to be truthful, one of the minibuses is going to be scrapped. It's reached the end of its useful life. It's not the one that I drove. Uh, I couldn't drive it, and well done to Margaret and Steve and, and whoever else, I can't remember, Pete, who drove that minibus. Uh, but see, when I lost it from the back of, I was driving the minibus in the front, and I was in the mirror, and this bus, you had to pedal really hard to keep it going. It was John, that's right. And, and uh, you're, when you lose it from the back of your mirror, you think, oh, oh no. Maybe at the junction something's happened. Maybe something's happened. All your life, you could be worrying about, what if something's happened? They're not home. What if something's happened? Jesus tells us we have to trust him. I think, you know, I, I, I will say this. I think I admire Caroline so much for going out to Pakistan in what is such a difficult situation. And you can understand, what if something happens? What if something happens? Well, what if it does? You know, nobody, well, I could say, not to say nobody, but if you go into a situation like that and you're not concerned at one level, it's, it's not courage, it's stupidity. But at another level, if you are concerned and you cast your concerns upon Jesus Christ, then it makes an enormous difference. William Barclay tells a great story. He talks about a gardener who had a lovely flower which he loved. One day he came to the garden, he found the flower was gone. He was anger and bitter and full of moans. Who took my flower? In the middle of this, the owner of the garden arrived. The gardener moaned and complained at him. Well, the owner of the garden arrived, and the gardener moaned and complained at the owner. And the owner said, quiet, be quiet. I took the flower for myself. I think that's a great picture when you're faced with bereavement. Be quiet, says Christ. I took the flower for myself. The early church very quickly took the ship as one of its symbols in art, and the early church was interested in art. The notion of the church being the church on the stormy sea of the world with Christ as the captain, it is a powerful and evocative image. And let me say this finally to the, the question, uh, who is this? The answer is not given. Mark doesn't give the answer. He leaves the reader or the hearer to put in their own answer. Who do you think this is? What do you think of Jesus Christ? Hebrews 12, 2, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. One man said to me, David, I'd like to believe. I'd like to have your faith. But his question or his comment was the wrong comment, and I'll tell you why. Because he understood that I had some kind of faith that I'd been able to work up or that I'd been able to, that had come from some kind of ability within myself. I had some understanding, some knowledge that he didn't have. And the answer that I gave to him was this. It's not really my faith. It's the faith that God gives in his son, Jesus Christ. And you say you'd like it, you can have it. It's as straightforward as that. If you There's a lovely promise in the Bible, and God doesn't lie, that those who seek him will find him, that those who call upon him, he will answer. And here's a challenge. Whatever storm you're in, whatever storms you might face, I challenge you to ask Jesus to reveal himself and to show himself to you. It will terrify you. Like the disciple, Lord, what are you doing? Don't you care? And Jesus answers their prayer, and they were terrified that he answered their prayer. And it's a challenge to those of us who are believers as well. 
I wonder if Christ would say, even to professing Christians, to members of the church, I wonder if He would really say, why do you still have no faith? It's an extraordinary question. Please think about it, and please ask the Lord to reveal Himself to you. Let's pray. Lord, we ask, well, first of all, we thank You for Your Word, and we thank You it still speaks to us, and we thank You that you take it because you inspired it, and you speak to us today. It's not just a collection of stories from the past. We thank you that you do care for us. We thank you that you are God. We thank you, O Lord, that uh, for all the things that you grant to us. Bless each one of us here. Reveal yourself to us. Speak to our hearts. Speak to our minds, and draw near. Forgive our sin, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.